Our sermon passage today is from Romans 5, verses 6 to 8. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Well, good morning and welcome to our Good Friday service. My name is Chris and I am grateful to be here with you this morning. So Good Friday, this is the one specific day a year that we set aside to discuss and in, in some ways celebrate the execution of an innocent man. And as I thought about today and I thought about uh, what God would want me to be saying as I think about or as I thought about our passage, it became clear to me that my job was to talk about and to help us see God's love for us and why Jesus' execution was necessary. I think the first is, is easier for us to understand, but the second is a lot harder. See, some of us understand why Jesus had to die. And so the next 20 minutes, 20 minutes is going to be something like two parts depressing and one part encouraging. But it's important for us to be reminded of Jesus' sacrifice and to be able to sit in it a while. But for the rest of us who are thinking about this today, or perhaps not thinking about it at all, the idea that we needed a Jewish carpenter in his 30s to be killed in arguably the worst way imaginable after suffering a horrific beating and humiliation is just absurd. This person, maybe it's you, thinks that we're all basically good and that the sacrifice of Jesus was pointless. So we're going to explore that a little bit today. We've already had our message read for us. And the author is a gentleman by the name of Paul. And he was writing to the church in Rome and fleshing out the why behind Jesus' death. Now, the passage that we read, it raises a couple of questions. Perhaps the two biggest being, did Jesus die in the first place? And did he need to die for us? Now, the first question, it's attested uh, to elsewhere in the Bible, as well as in the writings of the first century uh, ancient historian Josephus. So that question could be left to another message. But how about that second question? Did Jesus need to die? Or to put it another way, are we all sinners? See, there's a, a theme that runs through the entire Bible that teaches us that sin is everywhere, that it's in everyone, and that it needs to be dealt with. And if you don't know or you don't like that word sin, think of rebellion against God's desires for our thoughts, our words, our actions. See, it's, it's God's world, and so it's God's rules after all. See, we're all corrupted by sin to some degree. That's the idea. And our passage assumes that we are indeed all sinners. And at the heart of it is a lack of faith. See, Richard Foster puts it this way. We are not sinners because we commit sinful acts. We commit sinful acts because we are all sinners. As I said, though, some disagree. But anybody who denies that humanity is bent towards sinfulness, I think, has at least two things true about them. One, they've never had kids or been around them for any length of time. Two, 
they've never done home renovations. Now, the former, the kids, shows clearly that there is at least an eight or nine year window where each little person hasn't been able to rightly deal with or learn how to hide that they are a dirty little sinner. The latter, the home renovations, clearly shows the darkness of human hearts when we injure ourselves with hammers, work with crooked trades, or have disposal bins in the yard. Sarah, my wife, and I just recently finished renovations on a trailer, our home, uh, and it took a number of months. And in it, we are during that time for about five months, we had a large disposal bin in our front yard. You can tell how big a sinner someone is by their behavior around other people's bins. Like, hey, that's a place to put stuff. I have stuff. I'm going to go put my stuff in that bin. See, people just love dumping their garbage and having someone else pay for it. But the thing is, I couldn't even pay for my own garbage, let alone someone else's garbage. But people nevertheless kept wanting to put their garbage in my bin. So it just, it wasn't going to work. And that's the human condition. Our sin is like garbage, but there's no container that's big enough to fit it all. So we need some help. We, we need Jesus. And that's all I'm trying to say this morning, that we need Jesus, all of us. And because God loves us so much, we have him. So let's jump back into the text for just a minute and see why we need him and how much he loves us. So verse six, while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. So what does it mean to be weak? Well, the, the Greek word here, for those of you who don't know, the New Testament was primarily written in Greek. The word translated weak in this verse is used to describe someone or something as having a limited capacity due to illness and some other limitation. Okay, so the weakness that Paul is referring to right here, though, in this verse, isn't about physical impairment in the normal sense. It has to do with humanity's sinfulness. So we are spiritually incapacitated. See, up until this point in the letter, Paul has been trying to show the need for the, first of all, the law, God's law, think the Ten Commandments, to show people that they couldn't keep it, that we're incapable of following God and, and worshiping God as we should. And so God then waited until this fullness of time, the right time, while people were still weak in order to save them. But are we weak really? See, it's interesting that in this day and age that we're living, that all of a sudden people have gotten concerned with health. Have you noticed that? And not just our own personal health, but, but people awesomely are starting to get concerned about other people's health as well. And so some might look at this and go, well, the world must be good at the bottom if everybody is concerned about everybody else's health. Let's, let's explore that a little bit. Have you guys heard about the quarantine 15 this is like the little rhymy way of saying that while people are, are self-isolating, they're going to gain some weight, right? You're sitting around the house, there's easy access to, easy access to food, gyms are closed, et cetera, et cetera. We're going to gain weight. And we, and we laugh about it, right? As a culture, we post pics about it, about this insane amount of food that we're consuming, and we laugh, and others join in and have a good time. Last time I, I checked, I, I did a little bit of, of research. I'm not a doctor. 
Uh, but, but cancer is the leading killer of Canadians. And a close second is what? It's heart disease. Now, heart disease, or there can be reasons to have heart disease that don't include our personal decisions, from what I understand. But by and large, it's our food and activity choices that kill us. It just often takes a while. So you, someone might say, well, this donut's not going to kill me. Well, it might not that particular moment. The quarantine 15 may not kill as quickly as COVID-19, but compounded over time, it's going to get us in the end. Why am I talking about this? Because in the end, friends, we are all sinners in need of God's grace. And this is, this is just one example, this idea of the, the quarantine 15. I, I think this shows, this is a good example of our weakness. Now, Chris, are you saying that our personal health choices can be sinful? Allow me to answer that question with a question. Are we supposed to love our neighbors as ourselves? I think most of you would know the answer to that. Many of us, the answer is yes, by the way. <laughs> Many of us would never, ever, ever do to our neighbor what we do to ourselves. And if it's not clear, I mean that negatively. See, we're all created in God's image, all worthy of being treated with dignity and respect. Yes? And that includes you. And that, that includes me. It includes how we treat ourselves. And this includes how available we make ourselves to be able to help each other out. Which, by the way, I think is amazing as I hear story after story of, of people making themselves available during this pandemic. It's, it's wonderful. It's inspiring. It's encouraging. But nevertheless, we still take ourselves out of the game prematurely by inflicting poor health on ourselves when we make those choices. So we're, we're messed up. We're weak. We're compromised. And we need a savior. See, I, I, I could go on and on and on with what we celebrate and do in our culture that's further proof of our messed upness. See, maybe for you it's not the health thing. Maybe it's something else. I could, I could go on and on. But we all know, I think, when we look into our own hearts that there's something there that needs saving, that we are not proud of. So I'm, I'm going to leave that horse alone because I, I think he's dead. I, like, I, I hope for our sake that he's dead. The horse is dead, right? Let's move on. So in verse 7, Paul writes, for one would scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. See, to die for another person is generally considered the greatest thing a person can do. But would you do it? Uh, Tyler Joseph from 21 Pilots explores this song, explores this idea in this song called Ride. And he writes, I die for you, that's easy to say. We have a list of people that we would take, a bullet for them, a bullet for you, a bullet for everybody in this room. But I don't see too many bullets coming through. See many bullets coming through. See, metaphorically, I'm the man. But literally, I, I don't know what I'd do. What would you do? Could you die for someone? 
Better yet, could you die for someone that wasn't worth it? See, Jesus had every reason that we would give, that I would give, to not want to die for anybody, to not want to die for another person. And he had a way out, at least from our way of thinking. If you read through the Gospels, you'll find Jesus praying in the Garden of Gethsemane for his father to allow him to avoid sacrificing himself. So let's read. This is in Matthew chapter 26, verses uh, 39 to 42. I'm going to start reading halfway through verse 39. My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And then he goes and he goes to talk to Peter and the rest of the disciples. He finds them sleeping and he says to Peter, so could you not watch with me one hour? Essentially, you guys, are, you guys are being weak. And he says, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. So Jesus has already been experiencing temptation. And now he's expecting Peter and them to be as well. And then he says, this is interesting. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. That's the same word that was used before talking about how when we were weak. And so Jesus is pointing out that there is weakness in flesh, but it needs to be overcome. And then he said in verse 42, again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, my father, if this cannot pass until I drink it, your will be done. Your will be done. So he asks to have it taken away, this having to go and be crucified, but ends with your will has, or your will be done. See, somehow he's been assured that this is his path. If we were to fast forward to verse 51, we would see that when people come to arrest him, someone draws a sword and starts hacking away. doesn't name them. So we're going to jump over to John 18, verse 10, where John, the writer, names Peter as the, the sword wielder. He says, Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. I love the detail. Even mentions that the servant's name was Malchus, in case anybody was interested. And then verse 11, here's where the rubber hits the road. Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given to me? After what he's just gone through, put yourself in Jesus' shoes. I want you to, to sit there for a second in Jesus' shoes. He doesn't want to do this. He, he, want, he loves people, whatever, but he doesn't want to go through what he's about to go through. The people that he's going to do it for are currently arresting him or about to arrest him and then crucify him. He's just prayed, asking to be released from the responsibility. And now Peter is trying to get him out of it. If this was me, I'd be like, God answered my prayer. Woohoo! Keep hacking, Peter. Chop that wood, boy. We're getting out of here. But he didn't. He didn't do that. He knew. He trusted his father and he knew exactly what had to happen, even if it was the last thing that he wanted to do at that point. Why? Why would he do that? Verse 8. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So whether we like it or not, or understand it or not, this is the way it had to go. This is the way God in his infinite wisdom worked it out. So while we, while we were still sinners, behaving like garbage, Jesus died for us. Why did he do that? Because he loves us. Just because he didn't want to get nailed to a cross, it doesn't mean that he doesn't love every last 
one of us. Jesus says, pile it on. I can take it all. Not just a bit of the garbage. I can take all of the garbage. How much garbage can you take, Jesus? All of it. Do you need to take two trips? Nope. Once and done, I can take it all for you guys. Even the ones who put their garbage in Chris's bin without asking. See, I don't know if it's clear to us what Jesus' sacrifice means because I don't think many of us really get how bad sin is. The other day I was uh, in my room and I heard Cadman, uh, my son, he coughed and I, I froze. Now, thankfully, he didn't or doesn't have COVID-19. But it's amazing how something that used to seem so pedestrian or mundane to me could all of a sudden have such a tremendous meaning attached to it. Negative meaning. It became very big in my mind. I saw it as, a, I saw it as the destructive force that I now know it to be. Now, at the risk of sounding trite, sin is much, 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 much worse. See, for all of us, the enormity of our sin and just what Jesus did for us will become clear one day. I just hope for our sake that it happens sooner rather than later. See, friends, through all of this, I want us to know three things. One, that we are all sinners in need of God's grace. Two, that God's grace is available because he loves us. And three, because of that, there's hope even in crazy times like now. I've noticed something really cool happening uh, primarily on social media because I'm not allowed to see people in person. Uh, And it's primarily happening in Quebec. People are putting up rainbows in in their house and on their profile pictures. And it's not for the reason that you're probably automatically thinking. What was the rainbow originally a symbol for? That's right. For God's promise not to abandon humanity ever again. Have you ever thought about the fact that God had Jesus' death in mind when he put that rainbow in the sky? When he had Jesus' crucifixion in mind. See, first he knew that nothing, not war, not famine, not coronaviruses, were going to be able to stop the world from spinning or stop God's children from enduring. People were going to continue under God's sovereignty. He knew that. But he also knew that we would not ever figure out on our own just how to worship the God, the triune God of the universe through thought, word, and action the way that he deserves to be. So he sent his son to first teach us how to live and then to secure our place in eternity where we'll finally be fully transformed into his glorious image and capable of right worship. Jesus came and willingly died for us to be able to do that. Let's pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Lord, this time that we find ourselves in right now is panic-filled, full of uncertainty, 
and can often have our minds straying towards worst possible outcomes. But as we are settling into this time of Easter and and particularly today, Lord, on Good Friday, as we think about the death of your son Jesus, his sacrifice for us to be able to have fully formed intimate relationship with you. These times don't seem so scary. Lord, we know that there's hope in the blood of Jesus that he shed willingly on our behalf. And we are so grateful for that. Help us never to forget that sacrifice and how important it is for us to break down the barrier between you and us to repair the relationships. And so, Father, we just want to thank you today for that sacrifice. And we pray this in the powerful name of Jesus, in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.